Amen. Amen. Indeed, everything about you is holy. Your name is holy and set apart and sanctified. And Lord, I pray that when we speak your name, it will be with awe and reverence for who you are. And Lord, we just praise you and worship you. And we come this morning again with a heart of of awe and reverence for who you are. Lord, may we never take it lightly that you are almighty God, creator of all things, perfect, holy, faithful, all-knowing, all-powerful. And Lord, that you would choose to make us your children. How, how awesome that is. Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart that is here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Let me first say thank you to those who uh, sent me cards and have been praying for me. I appreciate it. Um, you know, sometimes when you're the pastor, your, your frailties are more public than for anyone else, but that's okay, because uh, I can be pretty determined, or as my wife would say, stubborn. I guess it depends on your perspective, right? Sometimes God has to do things to get your attention, and uh you know, I'm just the type, I guess probably for 20 years now, I'm just the type of person who, you know, working a hundred hour a week is just kind of the way I live life. You know, I just do that and I've counted a privilege to do that. And, but every once in a while, you know, God wants me to rest and I'm pretty stubborn and I don't. And so then he says, okay, let me just make you. And so if, if you're not aware this last week, I, it was it was pretty gnarly. I, got, I came down with a pretty heavy case of the shingles. You're familiar with that? And uh, I had it when I was 25, and it was nowhere near. And even though I'm not broken out much at all, the pain is unbelievable. I feel like I broke all my ribs, and I have a sword running through my chest. But other than that, I feel pretty good. <laughs> and in the midst of that, of course, I'm closing. A, I've got a book at work, and I've got work that has to be done, so I'm going to work. And of course, I already had pre-scheduled two root canals on Tuesday. So it was a fun week, all in all. But in our weakness, he has made strong, amen? And it's God's way of just bringing you know, me to a place where I need to be even more desperate for him. And so we need to be reminded sometimes that you know, we can't do it in our, in our own strength. And God is, is good at reminding us of that, amen? And so the good news is I'm actually leaving for a pastor's conference tomorrow. I've been looking forward to that for about six months, and I think the timing is perfect. Uh, it's down at Greg Lordy's church. It's called the Preach the Word Conference. I'm going with a couple other Calvary pastors from up here. So pray for that. I mean, maybe God's just preparing me to speak to me. Well, one of the orders I received from my doctor was to rest. So on Wednesday, I did actually stay home and get some rest. I worked the rest of the week. And then uh, staying up all night to study for this morning, kind of not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I started to do that, and I just kept being convicted so as I've always often told you, I will never teach you unprepared. And so we're going to look at another text that God's been speaking to me through. And this message might only be for me, but hopefully it'll speak to some of you as well. And I want to say this very clearly. What I'm going through is so minor compared to what so many of you are going through. Some of you I know have lost spouses in the last few months. Some of you are dealing with cancer. You know, continue to pray for Craig Anderson, who's going through a a difficult time with a, with a tumor. I mean, there's so many of us going through so many things, 
And we all often need to be reminded to be still and know that he's God and to rest in him and to realize that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. Amen? So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. It's a text that God's been ministering to me from. You know, when you're going through a trial, it's often great to look at people in the word of God going through greater trials and to see how God uses them in the midst of it. So that we might realize that God is in control of everything and God is faithful. And this is the chapter that speaks of Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I would, I in no way want to compare you know, my minor stuff to what Paul's going through, but at the same time, it's a good word of encouragement for all of us this morning that may, going through, may be going through trials and difficulties right now. Uh, again, those trials can be things from children who are not walking with God, a lost job, uh, health issues, and no matter what it is that you're going through, and typically where we're, we become most desperate is in the place where we have the least control, and that's really where we need to be, where it's out of our control and in his hands, amen? And Lord, whatever you need to do to get us to the end of ourselves, Lord, bring it on. So just by way of quick review, to just understand the context, remember that Corinth was a very, very wicked city. Uh, some have called it, you know, instead of First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Californians, because it really does kind of depict where we live today, the place that seems to be getting more and more wicked by the day, amen? It's amazing how we're calling good evil and evil good in this state that we live in. But Paul had planted the church there some five years before writing these letters, and many had fallen away, and they were being impacted by the godlessness around them. And Paul's first letter exhorted them to return to the Lord and repent, and many had repented. And now the false teachers, isn't it amazing how this is a common theme? We'll see it in 1 John. False teachers had crept in. They were drawing people away from the truth to their truth, and Paul's going to exhort them not to be drawn away by the vain boasting and outward appearance of men. This whole letter is to say it's not about the outward appearance, but the content of the message. Boy, we need to hear that today. I just saw a guy this morning. I was up early and this guy was on and man, he was spewing things that were so false doctrinally, but he had a crowd of Tens of thousands standing up, repeating his words and just chanting with them and waving their arms. And I'm like, wow, the guy's got a $10,000 suit on. He looks very charismatic, but his message was absolute noise. I'm listening to it thinking, wow, that's Corinthians. Nothing new under the sun. And so it's in that that vein that he writes this second letter and it's a word to encourage them. Again, it's about content you got to understand that Paul was kind of looked down upon by people. Because Paul, believe it or not, was not very charismatic. Uh, many believe he was probably pretty small in stature, wasn't a real good looking guy, wasn't a great orator necessarily. And the guys in Corinth, a lot of them were good looking and, you know, they would speak with great, you know, boldness and they, you know, they had all these visions and so on and so forth. And here was this, you know, much more meager in appearance, Apostle Paul, but he had the words of God and they had false doctrine. And so he's writing the second letter to point them not to, to get your eyes off the outward appearance and look at the content of the message. Paul has been living a life of reckless abandon. 
sold out and set apart for the Lord. And he's burdened for these people who, where the church had been planted. If you go back to chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, let me read those verses to you before we get to the text. It says this, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Isn't the gospel a simple message? And yet, the world and the enemy wants to complicate it. And he says, For if he comes who preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul's writing from the heart of a pastor burden saying, Look, someone's going to come along, they're teaching a different message, and you guys may well put up with it because you love the package from which it's being delivered. Boy, what words for us today, amen? So he, though, in the middle of all of this, has lived a life sold out for God. Though not eloquent or charismatic or physically impressive or as attractive as these guys were, Paul was, you know, felt that it was foolish to boast, and he's going to be forced into a little bit of it here in this morning's text. He feel, he's going to call it foolish boasting because he doesn't like to speak up. In a sense, he doesn't like to do anything but point people to Christ. Paul was very bold, but he never pointed people to himself. And we're going to find out that he had had experiences greater than anything these men ever talked about. He would never even bring it up. Why? Because he never wanted them to exalt the messenger, only the message. But it was a time when the messenger was being exalted above the message that he brings these words of exhortation. Paul calls them false apostles and deceitful workers who transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. You know, just as Satan appeared as an angel of light. And so these words of exhortation come, and Paul's been living sold out for God. We got a glimpse of all he had to endure. Let's read verse 22 to 28, and then we'll go to chapter 12. Just to give you an idea, here's where Paul is at. Here's what he's been going through. Here's what he's enduring. Next time you think shingles are a big deal or whatever, you're going through go back and read this and you go thank you jesus let's read it are they hebrews he's speaking of these false teachers so am i are there israelites so am i are they of the seed of abraham so am i are they ministers of christ i speak as a fool i am more in labors more abundant in stripes above measure that's scourging beatings in prisons more frequently in deaths often From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily." I want to have a ministry like the Apostle Paul. Do you really? It's a man who has been deeply broken who can be used mightily. It's a man who is totally desperate, whose life is laid down completely that God will use in the greatest way. And we need to be reminded in our minor afflictions in comparison 
that God is in control because God allowed this in Paul's life and God allows it in ours. So I believe this morning's text is going to give us some answers of, you look at it and you think, how in the world can Paul live a life sold out for God in the middle of all this and I'm whining when I got a hangnail? And I'm murmuring about my life and I'm complaining when things aren't perfect. You know, how is it that he's so on fire for God with all this going on and I feel like I'm barely treading water in my faith sometimes and I have a hard time reaching out and talking to anybody about Christ. And here he is, a man who is not eloquent, a man who is not good looking, a man who isn't, isn't great of speech, a man who doesn't necessarily command a crowd with his appearance or character, you know, charis- his charisma, and yet going through all of this and being used mightily by God, what in the world is this man's secret, if you will? How in the world does he do this? I believe this morning's text will help us give, give us some of the answers. What motivated Paul? What kept him humble and desperate in the midst of great fruitfulness? Why he kept going in the face of great adversity? So if you're a note taker this morning, I titled the message, Fruitful and Faithful in Times of Difficulty. Sources of true success in ministry. And guys, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're in the ministry. Amen? Amen? We're all in the ministry. We've all got a calling upon our lives. This is not a message for the apostles. This is a message for the believers. Here are the points. Why was he able to have this in the midst of all he was going through? In the midst of all the trials, all the difficulties, all the the torment and pain and suffering. Number one, he had an eternal focus. He had a true longing for heaven. Boy, doesn't heaven get more precious every day? I just can't wait. Sunday night as I was laying there, I thought heaven would be good right now. My wife said, you know, we've been married 25 years and only twice have you gone to the doctor without me prompting you. The other time was when my appendix burst. So she knew something's wrong with you. You went to the doctor, something's wrong with you. I'm such a guy. It's wrong. It's stubborn. We're like that, aren't we? Just, I'm not going, I'm fine. I'm fine, really? Oh yeah, I guess I better go. But an eternal focus, boy, longing for heaven, can't wait. Remaining humble and desperate. The reason God, God used Paul is Paul never got filled with himself. A man who is full of himself is a man that God can no longer use. But remaining humble and desperate. And then finally having a great love and burden for people. Boy, this is what kept Paul going. His burden was for the people in Corinth who were going through all this, who had these false teachers around them, that while he was struggling, and while it would be easy to just quit or give up, he had a continued burden to see those people in the city where he had planted that church continue to walk with God. He had a burden for them and a love for them, enough so that he continued on in the face of great difficulty. So let's begin looking at fruitfulness in times of difficulty. Fruitfulness and faithfulness in times of difficulty. First of all, an eternal focus. Here's how Paul begins as he longs for heaven. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Again, the Corinthians had sunk to the point where they would only listen to to people who would boast and make great claims. And this is what they were used to. And Paul, again, though bold, did not have that same charisma. Paul was reluctant to boast. He considered it foolish and unprofitable. Paul felt forced into a position where he had to boast out of a deep concern for the spiritual well-being of the Corinthians to get their attention off the false teachers and back onto Jesus Christ. 
So he says, it is doubtless, not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. The false teachers are always having a vision. Isn't it amazing to you how many people are having these visions today? Oh, I had this vision. I had this vision. No, does God still... The Bible says that in the last days that we'll dream dreams and see visions. So there are visions and there are dreams. But I'm always amazed how somebody on TV had something, they've got some vision and you listen to it and you think, dude, that is chaff. There is nothing in that that God would say to anybody. And it's always a vision about how you need to give me your money. I had this vision and God told me that there's some people out there supposed to give me some money. I mean, I'm cutting it down to it, but that's pretty much what they say. And you know what? The vision ought to not be something that causes us to boast before others, but changes us. And what we see in the Apostle Paul, these guys boast about these visions. Paul had had something happen to him, as we're about to see, 14 years earlier, that he had never, at least not recorded, told anyone. But it had radically changed him. Lord, I I think we need to come to a place where our devotions ought to be more about God changing us, our time with Him, God changing us, than showing us something that we can get up and espouse to others. Lord, just change me, amen? Do whatever you have to do to change us. Paul had had many visions and revelations and was not one to boast in them, but does again here to get the focus back on Christ. The word vision there means an appearing or a coming into view. And the word revelation is where we get the word apocalypse. And he says, I've had many. It's an uncovering, an opening, a lying bare, a disclosure of divine truth or a manifestation from God. He's had many. Paul's visions and revelations were a source of motivation for his ministry. And now he's going to share with us one of these visions. Verse 2. I know a man in Christ... I know a man in Christ. I love this. Paul refuses to talk about himself, even though he's talking about himself. He's going to share the vision, but he's not going to say, you know, can I tell you guys, I went to heaven one time. Got a book, 1995, I'll sell it in the back. Autographed copies, 24 and a half. You know what I mean? And these guys, and it's amazing how the people that supposedly went to heaven today, they've all got a book they want to sell. And, I, and you know, God forgive me, but most of them, I don't think their motivation is to reach people as much as to line their pockets. And, and the truth is this, and we're gonna about to see, he's gonna, he went to heaven and it was so awe-inspiring, you couldn't describe it, but how come every time these guys go to heaven you see on TV, they give you great description of what heaven looks like? But Paul said it was indescribable. So Paul had no vocabulary? I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of people claim to have gone to heaven, but if they'd really gone to heaven, I think instead of coming back and selling a book, they'd be going door to door preaching Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? There'd be a passion to see people saved. There'd be a burden for the lost. There'd be a transforming of the person's life. Paul says, I know a man in Christ. Again, will not speak of him, only speaks of himself in a third person, but he says, a man in Christ. If many, any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. In Christ means a Christian, not just knowing about Christ, not one who believes in Christ, but one who walks in Christ. He's in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? Are you walking with Him? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you going to heaven? Does He indwell your life in the person of the Holy Spirit? 
And he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago. Now, 14 years earlier, this is about the time when Paul was stoned at Lystra. And not stoned like the people on the Pacific Garden Mall stone. Stoned where they threw rocks at him until he died stoned. Amen? But what happened? Paul went into this city that was very adverse to the gospel. And he began preaching with great boldness. They drug him outside of the city and they threw stones at him until he was left for dead. There's some debate amongst people as to whether or not he died or he almost died. Personally, I think he died. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. God either raised him up from almost being dead or raised him from the dead. But his friends were surrounding him and weeping. And and again, I believe it's at this time that Paul, as he's about to speak of, was caught up into this third heaven. He says there, I know a man who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven, what is the third heaven? Now, this is not the three different heavens that the Mormon church would teach. One heaven for the bad people, a second heaven for the good people, and a third heaven for the good Mormons. It's not that heaven. The first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars are. And the third heaven in Scripture is where God dwells. So he says, look, I was caught up past where the birds fly and past where the stars are into the very presence of Almighty God. And he says, I don't know if this was a dream or if it really happened. I don't know if God just showed it to me as I laid there in a vision in my head or if he actually caught me up and took me there. But in either case, it had gotten a hold of his heart. Imagine going to heaven. Wow. It's no wonder that, you know, Paul, when he rose from the dead at Lystra, my personal belief, what does he do? First thing he does, he goes right back into Lystra to the people that threw rocks at him till he died and starts preaching with boldness. You know why? I think because that was when he had been caught up, the word is harpazo, where we get the word rapture. He'd been raptured up to heaven. He'd gotten a glimpse of heaven. He knew what heaven looked like. And he's like, dude, can't threaten me with heaven. I'm going back in here and preaching Jesus Christ. If you throw rocks at me until I die, I know where I'm going. And it's way better than this place. So you can't threaten me with it. I think the motivation for him remaining steadfast in the face of persecution, he had seen what heaven was like. He would later say to go to heaven, it's far better. But, The Lord wants me to stay here with you. Paraphrase. Man, for me, heaven, better. Way better. And we need to get that perspective, amen? So Paul didn't know if he had died and gone to heaven in his body or not. He says there, I do not know, verse 3, and I, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. I love that. Whether I was in my body or not, I don't know, but God knows. But here's the, here's the key, guys. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, Amen? heaven not that far away and he says there how he was caught up and there's that word again rapture or pazo to be raptured to be snatched away into paradise now paradise this is the word used to describe the dwelling place of the righteous dead before jesus rose from the dead you know you see the story in luke 16 of lazarus and the rich man where the rich man though he had you know, was very wealthy on earth, is in a place of torment and suffering. He's in flames. 
He's suffering. He looks across the great gulf and he sees Lazarus, this crippled man, this beggar, in heaven, in paradise. And he asked, you know, the Lord, hey, can you send Lazarus, dip his finger in some water and come put it on my tongue to bring me some relief? And he says, hey, he can't leave there and come to you. There's a great gulf between them. This is the very place where it says when, when the Lord, when Jesus died on the cross, he went down and set the captives free, right? He went down and he brought them out of Abraham's bosom into the very presence of Almighty God. Some have said he went down into hell. God did not go into the place. Jesus did not go into the place of torment. Amen? He said it is finished at Calvary. It's finished means it's finished. But he brought them out. Remember, he turned to the thief on the cross and he said to him after he confessed his sin and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. And so that's where he brought him. And so here this reference is, I was caught up into paradise. I was caught up into the very presence of Almighty God, into that third heaven. And it says there, and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. No words, no language to describe what he saw or what he experienced. I remember hearing the true story of a blind girl receiving her sight. I think I read it in a commentary. And she received her sight, and when she got her sight, she had never had it since birth, and they did some surgery, and she was able to see. And she went out to the window, and she began to cry to her mom and say, Mom, why didn't you tell me how beautiful it was? And she said, Sweetheart, I tried, but how can you describe the clouds? How can you describe colors? Only if you see will you really understand. And here's Paul. He's seen heaven, and him trying to describe it will be trying to describe the world around us to someone who's blind. It's impossible. He says there's no words to describe it. And again, I think it's, it's incredible to me that so many say they've gone to heaven. They've got all kinds of words to describe it. Paul really went, couldn't describe it. It's indescribable, amen? It's beyond what you and I can understand. It's not lawful. It would be a crime to try and describe it. Man, if I tried to describe it, I couldn't do it justice. So whatever Paul saw and heard gave him an eternal focus, a true longing for a heaven, so much again that he went right back into the city. And it's because of our misconception of heaven that we grieve for Christians the way that we do sometimes. I did a funeral not long, you know, a couple years ago for a guy who was 30 years old. He used to lead worship for me in a uh, youth group in San Jose, and I had people say, oh, he died so young. He was taken too soon. No, God doesn't take anybody too soon. Takes us right on time. Amen? And we grieve because we miss them. We do not grieve as those without hope. Guys, no one's in heaven saying, I wish I'd had another year. Nobody. Heaven, way better. Amen? We're the ones who grieve. What a blessing. Won't have to deal with this sinful, fallen world anymore. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. Don't have to hear Jesus' name blasphemed one more time. Don't have to see his name mocked. Don't have to see him cursed. Don't have to see the lies being propagated. Don't have to deal with any of that stuff anymore. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? I can't wait. We weep for ourselves Because we're still here, we need not weep for those who've gone to heaven. But praise God that they're there. We're going to see them again. Then he says this. Of such a one, 
I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Fourteen years had passed, and he had refused to mention this experience, let alone boast about it. He could have blown away the visions of all these other prophets. He could have walked into one of their miracle crusades and said, Really? Well, let me tell you something. I went to heaven. How about that? Yeah, your vision. Really? I he didn't do that. He instead allowed that vision to change him. And only now, as he sees other believers starting to fall for this lie, starting to listen to this false doctrine, that he now proclaims with boldness what God had done so many years earlier. Paul didn't want the, to elevate himself before them in any way. He didn't want people to put any emphasis whatsoever upon the messenger, only the message. Pastor Chuck tells us every year at the Senior Pastors Conference, reminds us, and we need to hear it, touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. We're not to touch the glory. One celebrity in Christianity, his name is Jesus Christ. He alone is glorified. He alone is lifted up. He alone should be put on a pedestal. He alone should be looked up to. Amen? He alone is honored and praised. Many today make up stories about heaven, again, to profit themselves. And in this case, he was cautious to do it because he wanted no one to look at him. He wanted him only to look to the Lord. So, Fruitful and faithful in times of difficulty. The sources of true success in ministry. Number one, an eternal focus. A true longing for heaven. And Paul certainly had that. Number two, remaining humble and desperate. For when I am weak, he is made strong. Look at verse seven. Unless I should be exalted above measure. Say, hey, in balance that, yeah, God took me to heaven and I saw it. Unless I should get puffed up, and yeah, there's been fruit to the ministry, and churches have been started worldwide, and God's doing great and awesome things through a mere guy like me. Unless I should be exalted, unless I should get puffed up, he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Paul became a Christian when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, right? Jesus shows up. You're riding you know, your donkey, your horse, whatever he was on, as he's going to persecute Christians, and Jesus shows up and knocks him off. Got knocked off his high horse in a big way, amen? And the Lord appears to him, and that's, oh, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He met Jesus. He had other visions as well. He had the vision when he was called to go visit, minister to the Gentiles. He had the vision of the man of Macedonia calling him to come. So he'd had many visions, and he could have very easily gotten caught up in his relationship with the Lord like some of the apostles did prior to Pentecost. you remember? Well, I'm one of the three. He took me Mount Transfiguration. Where were you? You weren't there. He took me to go pray, and I was napping when I was supposed to be praying, but I was there. You weren't there. And remember how they argued who was greatest? I'm greater than you. I'm greater. I'm the greatest, right? And that happens. And that's the sad part of what we can see happen. When God uses somebody mightily, we need to make sure we never allow our flesh to get puffed up. And Paul says, look, God made sure that wouldn't happen with me. You know how he did that? Thorn in the flesh. The word there for thorn is the word for a tent stake. 
not a splinter. He didn't say, I got a splinter in my pinky. He said, I got a tent stake in my flesh. God keeping me humble. A physical infirmity. A sword. Much debate about what it was. Some think it was an eye disease from when he was blinded on the road to Damascus. Others think he had something similar to malaria. I think it's, I know it is, that God didn't let us know what it was. So no matter what thorn we may have, we can all relate to Paul. It's not one specific thing. We go, oh, well, I don't have that. I mean, but no, whatever it is, whatever that is that God may use to keep us humble, he does it because we need it. And notice what it says to him. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. This didn't happen by accident. It wasn't by chance. It was ordained by God. Boy, this flies in the face of the whole, if you have enough faith, you should never be sick mentality we hear today. Amen? So the Apostle Paul evidently didn't have enough faith. Arguably, the man used mightiest by God in the New, century, in the, you know, in the New Testament church didn't have enough faith. Isn't that amazing? Well, if you have faith, you'll never get sick. Uh, really? That's just not biblical. Amen? You know what? It takes a lot more faith to be sick and keep praising his name than if God delivered you every time you got sick. Amen? Often he wants to bring us through the infirmity that we might stay desperate rather than deliver us from it. And we need to praise him either way. Amen? The apostle Paul, as we're going to see, did pray. But the thorn of the flesh was brought by God, allowed by God. It was given to him. And it says there, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Just like what happened with Job. Remember the story of Job? We don't have time to go into it. Remember, Satan comes to Jesus, right? And you know, the Lord, to God and God the Father says, have you ever considered my servant Job? Oh man, he follows you because look, he's the richest man on earth. If I was rich, I'd follow you too. You know what? You, you take away some of his stuff, he won't follow you anymore. And the Lord says, okay, guess what? Go down and you can touch him. You just can't kill him. And I'll tell you, I guarantee you there are times he wishes he was dead. Because his whole family was wiped out. All his riches were taken away. He was sitting on an ash heap covered in boils. And using broken shards of pottery to scrape the boils that he had on his body. And the only family member left was his wife who walked by and said, Job, curse God and die. Thanks for the encouragement, babe. (laughs) But Satan sent... That was a messenger, right? And he came, and God allowed it. And the same thing is happening in the apostles Paul's life. God's allowing it. Satan thinks he's having victory over Paul, and God is allowing it that he might keep Paul humble, broken, and usable for his kingdom. Lord, keep us usable. Amen? The word buffet means to beat, to smite with a hand, to hit with a fist. And then he says, why did he allow this? He says, lest I be exalted above measure. He's keeping me from being filled with pride. He's keeping me humble and desperate for God from becoming self-reliant. Boy, do we all need some of that. I know I do. Amen? Can't we be stubborn? Can't we be so self-assured and I'll take, you know, Lord, you're busy. I'll take care of this one. I got this one. But then we get to a place where we can start to do things on our own. And certainly in Apostle Paul's case, it had been so tempting to think that he had arrived. 
because God had done so many great things through him. But God left that thorn in his flesh lest he never get puffed up with himself. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Help us to never be prideful, amen? And Lord, do whatever it takes. Verse eight, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So he did pray. And he did ask the Lord to take this thorn away from him. God had given it to him with a divine purpose. Paul asked him to take it away. No doubt saying, Lord, take this away that I might better serve you. But Paul wasn't left with the infirmity because of a lack of faith, but because it was God's plan to keep him humble. Again, verse 8, I guess he didn't have enough faith. No, he had faith. But God's answer was no. Now, I don't believe he stopped praying after three times because he thought, okay, well, I've tried. I give up. I believe he stopped praying in a sense because he got his answer. His answer was, no, I brought it for a reason. And you're going to have it as long as I think you need it. Okay, Lord, I'm going to keep serving you. Not, Lord, fix me, then I'll serve you. Lord, I'm going to serve you whether you take that away or not. Lord, I'm going to keep serving you. I'm not going to allow the physical things of this world to keep me from being faithful to you. I'm not going to allow my finances, my, my marital status, my situation, my health. I'm not going to allow any of those things, Lord, to keep me from where you want me to be. I'm not going to wait till something else happens to serve you. I'm going to be faithful right now, right where I am. That's the heart of the Apostle Paul. You know, it's interesting. Some years ago, I went down to the pastor's conference. And there's a young pastor. His own mo- mom and sister have been killed in a car accident. And his father is one of my favorite Bible teachers. And this young guy had just started teaching the Bible and was now one of the pastors at the church. And he did a, he did a workshop on suffering. And you think, oh, yeah, that'll be well attended. But you know what? I thought, boy, I want to go to that. Because many of you know it. Very minor in, in comparison to the real world, but I've had a, a stomach problem since 1993. And so I thought, boy, I'd like to go and get this young man's perspective. And he was down on the mission field, and one night he went out, and he, he was out on the sand. He got on his knees, he said, Lord, do whatever you have to do to make me a man who can be used mightily by you. And the very next day, he came down with Crohn's disease. Young guy, 20s. It's gnarly. But he taught on suffering and he taught Psalm 23 in a way I'd never heard it taught before. And we know where it talks about, you know, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. And he's my shepherd, you know, when I lie down in green pastures. But he said this and I loved it. He said, but when we're lying down in green pastures, we can sometimes forget where the shepherd is. Oh, I'm just lying in the tall grass. Life is good. Where's your shepherd? I don't know. He's around here somewhere. But, He said, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're hanging on to your shepherd with both hands and a tight grip. Amen? And I thought, oh, that's good. Because it's so true that when everything is good, it's easy for us to get our eyes off the shepherd. But boy, when we're desperate, we're holding on to him with all that we have. Lord, help us. To be in that place where we're hanging on to the Lord. And he said to me, Jesus, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The word sufficient there is to be possessed of unfailing strength. To have enough. To be content. What God gives us is enough. 
What I've given you is enough. You have enough already. You don't need more to be satisfied. What I've given you is enough to satisfy where you are, to remain faithful where you are, to keep serving me faithfully. I've given you enough. My grace is sufficient. His grace is enough, amen? And aren't you glad? My strength is made perfect in weakness. When we are strong, we tend to do things ourselves. It's in our weakness that we remain humble and broken and desperate and usable by God. And he says that the power of Christ, look, it says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The word rest is to tabernacle, to cover me. Lord, I just want you to cover me. You ever heard that term, I got you covered? The Lord would say that to you this morning. Just rest where you are, I got you covered. I'm covering you with my presence. I'm tabernacling with you in the midst of your trials. God is so faithful. Jesus tabernacles and dwells with us in the midst of our infirmity. They don't need to be removed. We need to rest in the midst of them. Okay, Lord, you know what's going on. This doesn't surprise you. So, Lord, you're doing it for a reason. So, Lord, just let me enter into your rest. Let me just trust in you. Verse 10. Therefore, listen to this, I take pleasure in infirmities. What? Paul. Okay, dude, I was with you till now. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses. What? I actually think it's kind of cool. Hey, I'm dying here. God's going to do something great. You know what? Lord, help us to go from asking why to asking what from why lord are you allowing this to happen to what lord do you want to teach me what lord do you want to do in me nothing happens by chance with god amen he he knows when a bird falls from the sky he makes sure they're fed he's numbered the hairs on your head he's not surprised at what you're going through right now and this is a teaching opportunity a learning opportunity a growing opportunity for us amen lord help us Paul came to a place of a totally new attitude toward the thorn in the flesh, no longer playing to be delivered from it, but glorifying God through it, realizing why. Look at the end. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I praise God for it because I know when he brings that, he actually makes me physically weak and gives me spiritual strength. So Lord, Make me low. Make me like John the Baptist said, less of me and more of him. Lord, if it's less of me through infirmity, then bring the infirmity that I might be less, that you might be more, that you might be glorified. Lord, make me usable in your hands. Lord, whatever it takes, bring it on. Even if it's Crohn's disease or whatever it might be. God answered Paul's prayer, but not in the way he necessarily had wanted him to. God gives us what's best for our walk, for His glory. As we pray, remember that God knows better than we do. We don't direct God like a, you know, a wish-granting genie. He directs us, and we openly and willingly submit to Him. It's foolish to try to direct God. Often the greatest answer to prayer is not to deliver you from the trial, but to walk with you through it. It is a greater testimony. Man, I love this. For in, when I am weak, I am strong. 
greatest testimony that you can give to the world is for you to remain steadfast, even from the world's perspective, when things seem to be going sideways. To continue to have joy in the midst of it. And that was the Apostle Paul. So sources of true success in ministry, the faithful and fruitful in times of difficulty, an eternal focus, remaining humble and desperate, and the final point, having a great love and burden for the people. Look at verse 11. We're going to go through this fairly quickly. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Who's he talking about? These eminent apostles are the false teachers who proclaim themselves to be great men. Men who drew a crowd, again, as I said, with their great oration. Men who were outwardly, you know, charismatic. But their message was nothing. And Paul says, you know what? You guys should have been commending what Paul has done. They should have remembered his words. He had led them to Christ and they were so easily drawn away by the false doctrine. It says, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. True apostles are known not by their words, but by their works. And he said, you saw it. I was here. I was with you. I planted the church that was here. You're so easily to run off seeking a miracle when the greatest miracle of all is that you came, you passed from death into life. You came to know Jesus Christ. You saw God's hand upon the message that was delivered to you. That should have been enough. Guys, we shouldn't be seeking a new thing. Let's grab a hold of the old thing. Give me that old time religion. Amen? That's good enough for me. Let's hang on to the truth of the gospel and then he says for what is in the church you what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that i myself was not burdensome to you forgive me this wrong here's a little bit of sarcasm because here's what he says you were not inferior in what you were taught the only thing that was inferior about them is that they in no way supported their pastor And he says, the only way you were inferior is I never had you guys support me, so forgive me for doing that. He had given them, he had taught them the truth. They had been blessed with the gospel. They had seen the mighty hand of God. They'd been, you know, they had the word spoken to them with great boldness. And yet, they were tempted to walk away. You know, these eminent apostles would come in and demand large fees. They would demand speaking appearances. You know, appearance fees. And Paul demanded nothing. And yet they flocked to them and they threw money at their feet because they were you know, amazed by you know, the great oration when Paul said, look, I never asked for anything from you guys. Lord, help us not to be drawn by you know, how many men a, a guy can draw or by how great you know, his verbiage is. It's sad today that you watch anything from, you know, a pastor on TV to a presidential debate and people are more concerned with a, a stutter or a mispronunciation of a word than the content of the message. What in the world have we come to? Lord, help us to look for character. Then he says this, verse 14. Now for the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. Man, I like that. Here's what he says. I don't want your stuff. I just want you. I don't want anything you can give me. My heart and my burden is for you. This is spoken like the heart of a pastor, an apostle. 
He's not worried about a big appearance fee. He's not worried about them giving him stuff. He's simply burdened for where they are spiritually. And that burden is driving him in the midst of great trials. That burden keeps him going, though he has a thorn in his flesh. That burden keeps him from quitting and giving up. He's burdened to see those people walking with God. And if he has to continue to serve God in the midst of great pain and suffering, then so be it. He said, For the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. Paul's referring to them as his children in the faith. You need not give to me, my heart is to give to you. You need not care for me, my heart is to care for you. My heart is to to give to you that which is greater. He says, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Look, I'm not looking for you to give to me. I will spend my life. I will pour out my life. I will do whatever it takes, Paul is saying, for the sake of where you spend eternity, because of your walk with the Lord. He would be spent and poured out for them. Paul came only to love and serve and to lay down his life for them. He says there, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Boy, here's good words for those of us who are considering ministry. Remember, you were sent to bless, not to burden, to esteem others greater than yourself, to love unconditionally even if they never love you back, to spend until you were spent, and to lay down your life completely for others. That's ministry. You don't come saying, what can I get? Well, I'll serve in that ministry, but what do I get out of it? Who's going to notice? Who's going to see me? Is my name going to be in the bulletin? We need to come and say, you know what? If nobody ever notices, if nobody ever cares, I'm doing this for the Lord, and I'm going to do this in a way. If I, my, if I pour out my life doing this, I'm going to pour out my life doing this. We have people in this church just like that who absolutely bless me. You know what? I don't name names. I'm going to. Pray for Mike Giblin and his family. You talk about someone poured out for our kids. Amen? Just doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And God, I thought about him. I'm reading this. I'm like, that's, and we have many people like that. And praise the Lord for that. Amen? That's who we want. You know, and that's the heart of someone who's called by God and gifted by God. Heart of a servant. Let's finish up. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. You know what he's saying? These are accusations coming from the false teachers. Saying that he had caught them, that he pretended to be humble, but he really wasn't. And the collection that he was taking to Jerusalem to minister to the churches that were there, he was really going to keep for himself. There was false accusations being tossed about the Apostle Paul left and right. But the Apostle Paul continued to serve. None of these things were true. Look what it says. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Look, examine our actions. You've heard the false accusations, but did I ever take anything from you? Did Titus, who I sent to you, did he ever take anything from you? Or did we come simply to love you, to serve you, to exhort you to a godly life? He says, examine my life and see. 
It's an important philosophy of ministry to build up, to love, to give, and to minister to people. Many ministries exist only to be ministered to. Always presenting their needs. Turn on the radio. Here's what we need from you. Here's what we need from you. Here's what you got to do for us. Here's what we need from you. Here's what I want for you. That you fall in love with Jesus Christ. And that you serve him with your whole heart. And then you disobey him as he calls you and moves by his Holy Spirit. I pray you would never feel like when you come to Calvary Chapel, we just tell you all that we need from you. We want to give to you, bless you, minister to you. But you know what? As a pastor, I'm to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And as you're equipped, you can't help but start serving. And you're not serving so that men will be glorified or so that you will be noticed, but that God will be glorified and people's lives will be impacted. That's the body of Christ at work. If we have a love for people, if we have a burden for people like Paul did, we'll realize our calling to be servants. We won't feel put out when we're treated like a servant. We'll allow us to be fruitful and faithful. Last two verses, and it says there, For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you as I wish, that I shall be found by you in such as you do not wish lest there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul says, look, I'm writing to you because I'm afraid when I show up that you guys will have all walked away from God. I'm afraid that when I show up, you're going to be listening to the lies and the false doctrine that tells you it's all about you. And you can command God to do what you want. And if you're really serving God, you should be rich and wealthy. And you know what? Just like the Gnostics taught, go out and live an ungodly life. But as long as you believe in your heart, you'll be just fine. And he's telling them, that's not the gospel I taught you. And I'm afraid when I come back, if you believe the words of men over the word of God, this is what the state I'm going to find you in. Guys, God's coming again. And He's a God of love and grace and mercy. But He's also a God of righteous judgment. But the judgment is reserved for those who reject His grace and His mercy again and again and again and again. In the midst of this rebellion, Paul doesn't write them off. He writes this letter to them. He says, I'm going to come to you again. I want to minister to you again. I want to see you walking with the Lord again. Praise God for those who don't give up on us. Amen? There might be those you've prayed for, keep praying. There might be those you've forgiven, keep forgiving. There might be those you've reached out to, keep reaching out. Don't give up. The Lord hasn't. We shouldn't either, amen? So, as we prepare our hearts for communion, the sources of true success in ministry, an eternal focus. You guys, if our eyes are on heaven, things of this world won't bum us out so much, amen? Number two, remaining humble and desperate. Not ever getting to the place where we think we've arrived. We think that we know so much now that we can take this one without God's help. It's in our weakness that he has made strong. When there's less of us, there can be more of him. And number three, having a great love and burden for the people. Paul, even though they had mistreated him, even though they were buying the lies of the people around him, his burden was to exhort them again, to return to them again, to love on them again, to proclaim the truth to them yet again, and praise God for that heart. Lord, give us that heart. Now, as we're going to go to this time of communion, can I encourage you? Take some time. We're going to have the pastors come and pass out the elements, and as they do,
can I encourage you, take some time, and you spend some time one-on-one with the Lord. And you just examine your own heart before Him. Don't worry about anybody else. He's got you covered, amen? Let Him pour out His Spirit upon you. You come before Him humbly. You come with a confessing heart. You come with a, He's already seen it. Why are we hiding it? Amen? Look back to the cross of Calvary, remembering as often as you do this in remembrance of Him. Look within, examining our own hearts before Him. And look forward, knowing that there's going to be a day when we have this supper with Him in heaven, and I can hardly wait. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You. We thank You, Lord, that nothing happens by chance in the life of the believer. And Lord, I do pray for those who are here this morning going through incredible difficulty and trials. I think specifically of the, the widows who sit here this morning. Lord, may you comfort and strengthen them. For those who've lost family and friends, those who have loved ones who are in a place of ill health this moment. For those who've lost jobs, those who have kids who are not walking with you. Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name, Lord, truly, that in our weakness you would be made strong. Father, I pray as we go to this time of communion, as we hold the elements in our hands and we wait to take them together, Lord, that we truly would do this in remembrance of you. Lord, that we would be unhurried, not thinking about what's next, but Lord, just spending quiet time in your presence. Lord, we thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for what these elements point to. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.